morning. It's January 30th. It's 2011, Sunday morning. Our message this morning is called Jesse's Sons. Uh, turn with me to Genesis 2.15. <coughs> One of you is there. there. Genesis is the first book in your Bible. There. There. It comes there. after the non-inspired table of contents. <laughs> All right. Everybody's there? there. Now don't y'all go into preaching mode where I preach and you sit and soak. Uh, this is an interactive meeting. We are a community. I'm not the only one that has something to say about these topics. And if the Lord doesn't move on you while we do this in some way, then there's really no point in you or me being here. So, if you agree with something, even though most of you have grown up in conservative, rigid backgrounds, I want to let you know it's okay to speak out loud in church. Lightning will not hit you. It won't hurt you. And those of you that have grown up in Pentecostal backgrounds or a little more lively backgrounds, help your challenge brothers out, okay? Our meetings are supposed to be full of life, not full of slumber. Amen. Amen. Wow, my goodness. Amen. Our meetings Amen. are supposed to be full of life. Amen. 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 There we go. <laughs> Y'all know what the word incorrigible means? <laughs> All right, so Genesis 2.15. We want to read this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Come on now, say work it. Work it. Work it. <laughs> Isn't it a little funny to think that God said work it? <laughs> in our vernacular, that means all kind of things. And uh, some of them are a little even slang. You know, for God to say work it. He put man in a garden to work it. Who in here has gardens? Come on, a few of you. Why is it only people that are over 35 or 40 years old have gardens? Wisdom. Wisdom. Oh, there you go, Mario. Mario. Look, if you have a garden, you have to work it. And the original occupation of all mankind was to work a garden. God was teaching us something. He wanted us to know that nothing grows without working it. So in our Christian faith, if we're going to grow, we must work, work it. it. <laughs> there you go. So the question then begins with how, Lord? What does it mean to work it? Your Bible says many things like he who trusts in his own right arm is a fool. So what does it mean to work it? Well, turn with me to Luke 8. Wouldn't you like just one more time for fun to say, work it? Work, work, work it. it. All right. In Luke 8, we're going to be in the ninth verse. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the parable of the sower. I, I personally don't like that title. I know it's what's gone down in history as the title for this, uh, this parable. But the sower is the same. The sower is the same in every instance. The sower in this parable is God. The seed is the Word of God. And the only thing that is different are the people's hearts. And it is likened unto soil which must be worked to get it to grow. To get anything to grow in it, soil must be worked. Where we pick up in the ninth verse is after His disciples have admitted, we don't understand what you're talking about, Lord. You know, we, we don't get it. And so He's going to teach them. Here comes the ninth verse. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, 
The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. In other words, this knowledge of the kingdom does not come easily. It only comes through an intimate, personal relationship. Now, how many of you have intimate, personal relationships that you never have to work at? If that were true, then our society would not be in the shape that it's in. If intimate, personal relationships fell out of the sky and suddenly they were just there, then we wouldn't have divorce of any kind, would we? How many here have had a fractured friendship in their life? But the rest of you had no friends? It is very, very hard work to maintain any seriously close relationships. For that reason, most Americans have become independent to the point to be called isolationist. And I'm not talking about a political view. I'm talking about a way of living. They interact with less than a handful of people in their whole lives. They go to church to attend church, but not to have church and be fellowship with people and share the intimate parts of their lives with people. They never really connect. They only attend. They live next to people on their left and their right. that They might know their name, but they don't really know them at all. They work with people, and what they know about them are the things that they don't like. That's all they know. They worked with people for 20 years and never had any idea that the guy played the jazz piano. We're disconnected in every possible way. Because it's easier. Much easier. Then when we're disconnected, not living as God intended for us to live, something begins to happen. If you have nothing to focus on other than yourself, what do you focus on? Come on, only two people in here knew that? What do you focus on? Yourself. This is why we are the most selfish society that the world has existed today. Bless me, bless me. Gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. Me, Susie, Johnny, us four, no more. This is the prayer. It sounds like Santa Claus. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Do you remember Keith Green's song, Bless me, Lord, is all I ever hear was a line in it? Nobody aches, nobody hurts. Nobody even sheds one tear, it says. You know what? When you see a terrible accident and... You don't cry over it. Why don't you cry over it? You were not connected in any way to those people. It was strangers. It might as well have happened to ants. It made no impact upon you. We cannot go through life disconnected. When human beings are disconnected, they cannot be connected to God. Because He desires that all men be saved. He desires an intimate relationship with all men. Some of you are familiar with this concept. I've called it the Genesis 3-4 concept. In Genesis 3, man disconnected with God. So in Genesis 4, man is murdering man. Our relationships with the people around us are highly reflective of our relationship with God. There is no way around that. First John teaches us that if we say we walk in the light, but I'm sorry, if we walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with the Father, we lie. But if we walk in the light, you know who it says we have fellowship with? No, it is not Jesus. It is not God. It's each other. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. What does that tell us? 
that tells us that God made us to be connected. Amen. Let's pick back up in this. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. At the very least, we should be connected to our children, right? Those in our own house. When you receive something from God, what are you supposed to do with it? Go take that and connect with somebody else and share it with them. Amen. How many messages do you hear in here in a year? Well, if you attend it every Sunday, it should be at least 52. If you attend every Sunday and Wednesday, it should be at least 104. If you attend every Foundations meeting, it's going up again. If you attend the Piro's home meeting, it's going up again. If you attend all of the functions, it's going up and going up and going up. How many of you shared? What's this have to do with Jesse's sons? I promise we'll get there. Here's the thing. When we talk about the parable of the sower, the emphasis is in the wrong place. I would prefer to call this the parable of the soils. The sower is the same. The seed is the same. It's the Word of God and it's God. But the soil that it falls on is different in every case. And this was hidden from the people. They didn't understand. They didn't understand their original occupation is to work it. Well, what is it that we work? He's got to go on to teach. We're going to work the soils of our heart. When you see disconnected soil, things that can't get planted in, things that don't grow, it's been isolated too long. It's been beat on by the sun too long. You know what one of the first things you do with soil is? Perforate it. Aerate it. That's another way to say it. Aerate it. You till it up. You break it up. You expose it to all of the elements and to all the other soil that's all around it. This is how God called us to live. Well, Eric, you just enjoy people more than I do. Yeah, you need to repent. How is it that you can love God you can't see and don't love to be around the people that you can see? Oh, well, that's just your personality, you know? It fills you up inside, but not me. Why? Why? Are you tragically designed by God in some way that is different than the rest of the world and the Word? God made us to connect. How many of you like to help people? I mean, you may not like all the work that goes into it. But you like the feeling of knowing you did something for someone, right? Our lives are supposed to be filled with that feeling. That's what it means to it's more blessed to give than to receive. Something is wrong when we walk into a place, when we wake up that day, wondering what good will happen to us. That says something about the soil of our hearts. But here comes the 11th verse. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear it. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. The soil is always your heart in this parable. Ironically, I was in a little private school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I had been thrown out of the public school. And my parents were kind enough to care about my education. They paid to put me in a private school. That could not have been easy. This is the first parable that I learned in that private school. I got paddled for not memorizing it correctly. Now, don't think those people were harsh. They weren't harsh, I was just rebellious. Sometimes hard things have to come 
to till up soil. Because a hard heart will never receive what it should from God. Who, who steps out there and says, hey, by the way, I just want you to know, I have a hard heart. <laughs> never. Never. They always say the same things. Nobody knows my heart. They talk in terms of other people, but never themselves. If we knew when we had a hard heart, we might not have it. This is why the Word of God must penetrate it. But whose job is it to work it? God gave us the job of working the soil of our heart. So a great question to ask yourself right now, maybe write it down in the notes, is what condition of soil is my heart? Because your occupation, no matter whether you are a banker in here today or a therapist, is to judge the condition of your own heart and do whatever it takes to get God's Word to grow in How many people in here think Saul's a bad guy? Saul. King Saul. Good guy, bad guy. How about this? Good guy, raise your hand. Two people. Bad guy. What should that be? Now, how are some of you neutral? There's no Swiss people in here. He's a good guy and a bad guy. Oh, so he's both. Okay, we'll come back to that. You are a complicated bunch this morning. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear it. And then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the Word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away whether you get saved or don't get saved, whether you endure in the kingdom or burn out of the kingdom, all has to do with whether or not you work the soil of your heart. Because the same seed is being planted by the same God and all men who will receive it. It's the soil that is different. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked off by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature to get something to grow. You don't just need to, to work the soil in the beginning. You have to protect the soil. You have to work the entire area around it to get it to mature. Matt grew a fig tree. I was very worried when we began to have inclement weather because I thought Matt would go out there and guard his fig tree. <laughs> it is hard work, and it's supposed to be. That way when something grows, you appreciate it. You know, Proverbs says that if you give a man his inheritance all at once, in the end it will not be a blessing to him. So why is it that American Christianity teaches, I came to the altar, I prayed an unscriptural prayer, and now that I have done that, I have arrived! So, well, we do it because we don't want to think of ourselves as having worked for salvation. We want to emphasize the fact that it is an act of grace. It's an act of grace that you're able to do anything, of course. Yes. But it is a lie that you don't have to work your soil every day. Well, once the seed's there, it can never go anywhere. <laughs> the Scripture plainly teaches against this, and yet it's taught all over our country. <laughs> plainly. Couldn't be any clearer right there. It says, they fell away. We have to guard our hearts. Yeah. Amen. 
We have to make sure that we're working to make sure that since Proverbs says it's the wellspring of life, we control what goes in it and out of it. Listen to what else he says here. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Isn't it interesting he starts and ends with heart? In between he talks about soil and plants, but he begins and ends with heart because that is the heart of the matter. That was not just a bad joke. It shows you that this word is used lots of ways. In Greek it's cardo. In Hebrew it's lead. It means down in the center of you. What is at your core? Because this next teaching is not divorced from the first part of this message. Whatever is at your core, God is going to reveal it. Listen, listen to this next one. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. So we're talking about agriculture, we're talking about illumination, Clark. (laughs) Both. You plant a seed because you want a product. You light a lamp because you want a product. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. And there is nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. You heard the phrase skeleton in the closet? Yeah. Yeah. There will be no skeletons in the closet at the ends of our lives. That's right. Every man will be seen plainly for what he is and judged according to their deeds because your deeds show what is in your closet or in your heart. Your emotions will lie to you. They're useful. God gave them to us. The emotions in themselves, not wrong, not at all, but they can be deceptive. When the Bible speaks of that, it says, the heart is deceptive beyond cure. Who can understand it? Said that in Jeremiah 17. It will lie to you. We're not to be ruled by them. What is supposed to be planted in our soil? The seed that is the Word of God. Nothing else matters. If your emotions will lie to you at times, can they be trusted? Only when they line up with the Word of God that is planted in you. Okay? Now, say, Eric, I already knew the parable of the sower. Did I really come here to hear this? Well, you may need to hear it again. But I'd like to share with you some precursors to King David. Number one, we don't have time to read this part. But 1 Samuel says that Saul was changed into a new man because God changed his heart. Was he anointed of God? Yes. Was he anointed by a prophet of God? Yes. Was he received by the people as king? Yes. Then what's the problem? He forgot to work it. God can make you brand new. He can, in a day, declare you to be a king. He can, in a day, set you above all of your peers. But He will not force you to stay in His blessing or to stay in His hand. He said, I set before you life and I set before you death. This gives you a choice to make. Every day with every action, what you receive in your hearts. Is there plenty of yuckiness out there to receive? Where is goodness found? Right now, it's in your laps. How much time are you working your soil with the goodness of the book that is in your lap? Say, well, Eric, I can never read and be enough. I agree with you. That's true. Let's try, though. Yes. Let's try. Let's try. 
The stories all go the same way. People began to do what was right in their own eyes. They start to ignore the word. And then pretty soon they're telling you that your interpretation of the word is wrong. They won't listen to, hey, wait, give me your interpretation. Because they're no longer reading it. They want to look right, but inside they're rotten and their actions are showing. Anybody in here watch VH1? John. John and I live in the same house. We can't help but watch VH1. In VH1, they chronicle musicians very often. You know, none, none of those stories are unique. Not one of them. They start off nobodies. They end up ahead of everybody for a while. And then at some point, the band breaks up. Drug use takes over. All of the behavior comes home to roost. And then at 30 years old, they look like they're 80 years old and are a ridiculous joke of their former selves. Yeah. And now every once in a while on VH1, they'll give them plastic surgery and try to bring them back as something. And they're a puppet. They're a shell of what they used to be. Right. This is happening all over the world. And it's not musicians. It's happening. As God begins to elevate his people, as he begins to give you good things, don't forget how you get there. We have to work the soil of our hearts. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. We have the responsibility to work it. And nothing that is concealed today will stay that way. It will all be revealed. In 1 Samuel, we're going to start in 15. Then we're going to start in the first verse. There. 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 Fifteen one. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. How clear is that? Did he say destroy them? He said totally destroy them. Totally. Did he say wipe out the stuff that belongs to them? He said everything that belongs to them. How crystal clear is that? Very clear. Do not spare them. How clear is that? Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Is there any room for interpretation in this? So Saul summoned the men and mustered them to Telam. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah, I guess that's where the pigs come from, to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, What's that word? Alive. 
Okay, now, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but is that obedience or disobedience? If it's obedience, raise your hand. Nobody. So, is it disobedience, or do we have some in the middle on this question? Disobedience. Okay. So, any right-thinking person can look at this and see, without any problem, that is disobedience. Crystal clear instruction and obvious defiance. Yeah? Yes. I, I'm, I'm not wrong about that. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag. Saul and the army. So Saul's men and Saul both spared Agag. We're clear on that. Yeah. You know, this is not one of those definition of is questions that our nation has become famous for. And the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. There are no Christians in this world that have had hearts changed by the living God, that are clear as day told things in the Word. But when it came down to actually doing it, if there was something desirable for them to keep, they didn't get rid of it. They only destroyed the things that they found personally deplorable. In other words, they chose what was good, what was pleasing to the eye. But they destroyed everything that they found displeasurable. Christians who do what they like can refuse what they dislike and call it obedience. There are no Christians like that that you know, are there? John 7, 24 says, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. How does one make a right judgment? When these people were left to their own desires, did they make a good judgment here? No. Then what did they need to be guided by? Well, the word of the Lord clearly told them what to do. So why did they not do it? Well, they found it unpleasant in some way. Is there any part of the word that the Lord has been bringing back to your remembrance over the last six months or so that you just find difficult to do? It's hard. It's unpleasant. If that's not happening, you are not interacting with the word. Let's just be honest. I'm going to call it like I see it. If you are not being challenged to do things in the word that are hard for you, you are not interacting with the word. You're reading it like you read a fortune cookie after a meal, a sentence or two. But if you are interacting with this Word on a daily basis, you're being challenged by it. You know how I know that? Because I'm doing that. Not speaking to you about something that I have heard in a book or read in a book, heard on TV. The Word of God will make you work the soil of your heart. What is this showing about their hearts? Showing that God can't just plant anything in there and get it to grow he can only plant the things that they like in there. And that's what will grow. I'm just curious. 
Are you quicker to do the things God tells you to do than you wanted to do all along? Lord, is it your will that I buy that house? Oh, good. Waste no time. Give away my car. We're going to pray about that a year. Lord, if it's your will that I date them, they'll call me today. See, the word will reveal your heart. It will judge between your thoughts. It will judge between your joints and marrow. Get right down in the center of you. And if you're willing, it will show you about your life. Christians that keep the best of everything but destroy anything weak or despised. Do doctrines ever speak about people's hearts? Does a man's belief system have anything to do with what's in his heart? Well, if you're sure that everything in this Bible that is good and is pleasing belongs to you, but everything that is difficult belongs to somebody that is weak and despised, what does that say about your heart? That's interesting, isn't it? Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he turned away from me. I don't care how much you've been taught, that can't happen. I've seen it too many times. Saul turned away. To answer the question earlier, was Saul good or bad? And we had people on both sides of the fence and then a bunch of people that went the neutral route. Oh, well, he was both. Read Ezekiel 18 sometime. When a righteous man turns from his righteous ways and begins to do evil, the righteous things that he formerly did will be remembered no more. So does that sound harsh to you? What about the good that I did for 29 years and in the 30th year, I walked away. Is that all really gone? It's not like uh, Social Security? It's not just there waiting for me? <laughs> Yeah, right. It is like social security. It is. It's going away. If that's not fair to you, then let me ask you, why is it fair that we say, if a man has been wicked for 29 years but turns to the Lord, every wicked thing that he did for 29 years is forgotten in his 30th? Why do we mock God and consider Him a fool? Say, but where's the grace in that? You just heard the grace in that. If you've been wicked all your life and repent, it'll all be forgotten. But it works the other way too, friends. Wow. Oh, no. I mean, y'all read it. You tell me if you have a different interpretation. It's actually about four places in Ezekiel, but a couple of them are grouped nicely in 18. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. He does not say about Saul, I am grieved. He's been tricked by some strange wind of doctrine and now he believes that the church will be raptured. He does not say, I'm grieved that I made Saul because now... Saul, after listening to so-and-so preach, believes in predestination. He doesn't say that. What he does say is that he's grieved because Saul would not carry out his instructions. 
What we have as a litmus test in our lives for acceptance in the body of Christ is whether or not we believe the same things. I'd like to submit to you today that that's the wrong litmus test. The litmus test is, will you carry out the instructions God gave you? Do you know anybody that believes all of the right things and does not? I mean, Mandy taught me excellent body mechanics. I know almost everything there is to know about the right way you should lift. But he doesn't do it. But I don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my son is a lot like me. He's confident. I'm speaking of Judah at the moment. It means if he knows a little bit about something, whether he's done it or not, he could write an authoritative book on it. <laughs> This is what we are producing. I'm not picking on you, Judah. I'm picking on me. That's my fault. This is what we're producing in the body of Christ. Authoritative work, some things we have never actually done. Yeah. Write you a book on church planning. How many churches did you plant? Well, I went to the biggest, most popular church in my area, and they taught me the best stuff. Write books on heathen. You've been healed? saw it done once. We are experts in things that we have never done because our litmus test is in the wrong place. You know what circumstance will do to you? It will reveal the center of you. And if all that you have in the center of you is a doctrine, it grieves the Lord. His litmus test here is will Saul carry out his instructions or not? Have you spent any time wondering about things that were maybe too great and fantastic for you? I, I, I just want you to know, I spent years of my life in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And I, I'm thankful for it. It was fruitful, some of it. Okay, The Word of God is always fruitful. But we could sit and debate the 70 weeks in Daniel all you want. And, and by the way, I'm not a dispensationalist. I, I, I just don't see things the way that those people do. But if I could sit here and explain to you every bowl of rat, every trumpet, what would you do with me? At best, you'd argue with me. At best. Because right now, it's all theory. You know when that is going to matter in the greatest way? When it's an instruction for our life today. Yeah. When it's something more than logos, when it is rhema. Yeah. I'm curious. If you know everything there is to know about what the Bible says about raising children, but you're not raising children, how does that profit you? I'm not saying it's of no profit. It is. It'll prepare you for having children. It may give you some helpful encouragements rather than instructions to people with kids. But wouldn't it be a whole lot better to have the word that was God's instruction for your life right now? We're always seeking something. We're always seeking whatever we don't have. And we're ignoring what God has given us. I want you to see what Saul goes on to do. God is grieved in his heart because he won't carry out his instructions. By the way, how complicated of a list is it? How many things are on it that Saul needs to do? It can be summed up in one word. Obey. He doesn't have to make difficult decisions. He doesn't have to do things that can't be done. 
All he has to do is obey, and then he would be pleasing to the Lord. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Why is it that believing the right things, even when they're wrong, allows us to pat ourselves on the back and tell everybody that we may not have it all right, but we've got more right than that church? There was a Methodist woman here this last week named Nancy Davis. Her and her husband have been planting churches in Mexico for 40 years. When I said there's a Methodist woman in Mexico, are you surprised? I was a little surprised. I, I mean, I know that there's denominational missionaries everywhere, but the missionaries I've met in Mexico are all spirit-filled. She got shot in the head for the gospel this last week. How important is it to you when you hear that? Let's just say what her view was on eschatology. How important is that? What about whether or not she agreed or disagreed with Calvin's five points or any of the five? How important is that? When you hear that Epaphroditus in Philippians almost died for the work of the gospel and that we're supposed to honor men like him, do you immediately go to the thought, but wait a minute, did he think wine was really wine or just grape juice? Wait, is, is tongues the evidence or an evidence? Did, does that ever even come up? Or, or do you just honor men who carry out the instructions God gave? Does it make everything else unimportant? No, it doesn't. But what is of primary importance in our life is that our soil responds to seed. That's of primary importance in our lives. So I'm asking you, when you wrote down your question earlier about the condition of your heart, can you name some seed that has hit your soil and produced something in the last year? I'll give you a hint. These would be things that you changed your actions over. These will be things that you were challenged and were difficult to do. These will be things that never would have been your flesh's idea. It came from God and you did it. One came to mind immediately. Somebody I'm very proud of. They apologized to someone that probably didn't deserve it and it's not in their nature to want to apologize to someone. That could only come one way. Had to be born of God. It certainly wouldn't be born of the flesh. Yeah. And it was painful to carry out. And it didn't immediately yield the results that you had hoped for. Those are all hallmarks, hallmarks of something that God tells you to do. Mm -hmm. They are. How long is the list that you have in front of you now? Mm -hmm. See, we're not very good at assessing our own heart soil. We'll tell you it's good because we believe the right things. But then when asked to demonstrate what seed has gone into it and what fruit is produced, say in the last year, well, all of a sudden we start to look like experts on cultivation with no fruit. Isn't that interesting? How about this? When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. How is it that Saul could believe he was doing God's will when you so clearly, absolutely, definitively pointed out 
that God's instructions were not ambiguous. When your heart has become deceived and corrupted, guess who doesn't know it? You. So why is it important that you don't live an isolated life, an island to yourself, interacting with no one else? Because you're not a very good judge of your fruit on your own tree. Come on, are you tracking with me this morning? Amen. When we're isolated, we're convinced. In fact, the Proverbs say it this way. All men's ways seem right to him. How about that? All of our ways seem right to us. This is how somebody I love can look at me and accuse me of theft because I didn't drive their stuff to their house. Say, so, hey, no, brother, don't be a coward. Come pick it up. I'll be sitting right here with coffee and an open bike. Oh, no, that's theft. And convinced. A heart can be twisted in ways that you wouldn't think so. Do you think it's a normal thing for mothers to abandon their children? No. But it happens every day. How does that happen? And I'm sure they think it's the right thing to do. Would you be convicted if you walked in, opened that tithe box, looked in, saw some money, grabbed it, put it in your pocket, and walked out the door? Would you be convicted? Okay, let's do it this way, since uh, the church can be passive sometimes. Who here would not be convicted by that? Okay. So everybody in here, not just the three people that answered my question, would be convicted, right? Right. Why are we not convicted then when we get our paychecks and God says the first part of it belongs to Him and we, we don't get it? Because a heart can become deceived. Well, who are you to judge me? You don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand God's Word. Yep. That's right. Is the problem His Word or is the problem the soil of your heart? What do you mean, forgive Him? What do you mean, blah, 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 whatever it is? Our hearts become convinced that we are right. What's it say? There's a way that seems right unto man, and the end it leads to destruction. But we keep walking down and convinced we're doing God's will, right? I mean, the fallacy is, maybe the reason that the ridiculous churches that are not seriously studying that word, but instead have wrapped a big insulation blanket around themselves that says we're all wonderful, life is great, uh, you know, get your USDA stamp and you'll never have to worry about a thing. Maybe the reason that they do that is because nobody ever admits to falling away. I mean, I just got to tell you, I, I could probably sit here with a little thought and tell you 25 people that I started this race with that today are not following Jesus in any way, shape, or form, but they tell you that they are. Oh, wow. Who are you to judge me? Hey, dude, I just see a lemon tree. What do you want to tell me? Well, God knows my heart. He does. You don't. That's the problem. Wow. He does. You don't. They all say the same things. I can serve God anywhere. God's with me. You're misinterpreting the word. You never hear any word come back out of them. Never. When they say you're misinterpreting the word, you need to reevaluate that in your mind and say, you're using the word. See, when they say you misapplied the word, what they mean is you applied the word. That's what they mean. Yeah. So, 
built monuments in his own honor, claiming to be obedient to the Lord. And what is literally happening in the spiritual realm right now? Divorce. Tearing. An awful tearing. The man who's covenanted to be the head of Israel is being torn from Israel's side. And he's convinced he's obedient the entire time. Because he didn't work it. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle I hear? You know what that's called? That's called data denied. <laughs> you know? Like, I never do that. Well, what about last week? Well, yeah, there was that time. And, and a month ago. But I never do it. That's data denial, friends. And all of Christianity that I'm familiar with is practicing it on a regular basis. We're all good people doing what God says except we can't demonstrate the things He told us to do and we've completed. I guess it gets quiet in here because this hurts you like it hurts me. Huh? We won't end there. Because God's Word doesn't end there. He doesn't bring you to a place that says, man, you're failing. He brings you to a place that says, I've got something better than you than you're experiencing right now. And if you could just trust me, you'll begin to see the good of the man. I can't help but read this next little part, then we'll move on. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Kind of like a great commission. You know? Jesus Christ came to destroy the devil's work. Right? Everybody agrees? 1 John 3 it says that. Came to destroy the devil's work. We can't destroy it and participate in it. We can't. Uh, everybody agrees Jesus said go into all the nations. How many of us have gone into the neighborhoods? I, I'm just curious. Don't raise your hands, but think about this for a minute. Can you even remember the last time you witnessed to somebody passionately about the gospel? I don't mean said something like, you know, God bless you when they sneezed. I mean... You sat down and gave a passionate testimony because you cared about their situation. Can you remember the last two times? Think about it. Now roll back the clock to the week that you were born again. How many people did you tell the first week? How about the first month? Is your intensity growing or waning? See? We are masters at patting ourselves on the back and building monuments when we have not actually done what God said to do. We just believed it was the right thing to do. We're masters at that. And we get very offended with anybody that suggests otherwise because it's going against the norm. How active are you in doing the things God has already told you to do? I love the charismatic world. Without God's Spirit, there would be no hope for any of us. Some people would prefer me to say Pentecostal world, spiritual world. I don't care what you call it. You know what I'm speaking about. Where God is still speaking in the church. I love it, but I want to tell you there is a drawback. We're looking for new words every day. 
No, 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 no. Did you get a good word? I got a good word. <laughs> Nobody forgets the word or remembers the word they got yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, no. I was reading a book or prophecy just yesterday. Encourage a journal. Write down the words that you've got. Write them down. If you thought they were good, write them down. Review it every month. Don't let it be your Bible. But review it every month. But say, am I putting any of these into practice? Do they? You know, it's funny. I've been in spiritual Christianity, I don't know, 17 years now. Uh, I've never done that. Never even occurred to me. How faithful are you being to what God has revealed to you? How's yeah. very quiet in here? Well, that doesn't sound great on the recording. We should, we should put some crickets in there. <laughs> I guess that's more like a bird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I can't do a cricket. I'm sorry. <laughs> Watch this. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? Come on, that's a fun one to say. Pounce on the plunder. No, we got to do it again. Pounce on the plunder. Who wants to be the kind of guy that pounces on the plunder? But let me tell you what that looks like in your life. It's when you do what is easiest rather than what is hard. It's when you put yourself before someone else in any situation, you're pouncing on the plunder. It's when you outrun everybody to the front of the line. It's when you put your feelings before theirs. That's pouncing on the plunder. But I did obey, Lord! Meanwhile, you're pouncing on plunder. What a crazy thing. Listen to what he says now. Verse 20. But I did... Obey the Lord. Why does he say he did obey the Lord? He did part of it. He did the part he wanted to do. I skipped it earlier, but when Samuel first confronted him, he said, Well, they left Agak alive, but we completely destroyed them. See, they is always those people who are disobedient, and we is always the people who are obedient. When the truth was, he was involved in both. Yeah. He did the part that he liked and he refused the part that he disliked. Yeah. And because of that, God could not use him. Rejected. Fallen away. Thrown out. Tormented for most of his life after this by an injurious spirit that the Lord allowed to come upon him, however that worked. You figure it out, theologian. All I know is it wasn't good. good. And it could have been avoided. What do you remember Saul best for? Opposing David. See, when we do what we like and refuse what we dislike, we always end up opposing people who do not compromise. We don't think it's that. What we do is we say, well, we're right and we're following Jesus too, and they're just so stuck on their own opinion. They say things like that. Yeah. Heard it many times. We would never cast ourselves as Saul than someone else as David. But is there anybody that you're mad at just because they're trying and you're not? Nobody wants to be rebuked. Nobody likes correction. That's right. That is exactly it. Nobody wants to be corrected. In fact, Samuel's now told him about four times he was disobedient. And what is he still saying? But I did obey. I did. It's almost as if he says it enough, it must be true. Right. Yeah. And before long, 
when Saul tells this story to his little friends and relatives, he will be the hero in it. And it will be Samuel who wronged him. Yeah. By the way, how did Samuel hear from God all of these times? He grew up in the very presence of God. He loved it. He was addicted to it. He did every he experienced fear, you're gonna hear it. He experienced hardship, you're gonna hear all of those things. But he brought the Lord's word. Come on, say bring it. Bring, bring it. it. You need to want people around you that bring it. And you need to work it. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag. I completely destroyed them. Except their leader. Samuel goes on to rebuke him and talk about obedience rather than sacrifice. It's a trick. It's a trick to say, no, 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 no. I know it looks like I wasn't obedient, Dustin, but I only wasn't obedient because I was trying to help you. That's why I didn't kill all those cows because I was bringing them to sacrifice to the Lord. Then why didn't you? Well, I, I, I meant to. I was going to. See, that's just the story you tell to make yourself feel better about your disobedience. But they never actually get sacrificed. How many times have you seen this? Or am I the only one that does? You ever done it? Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid. I was afraid. Faith and fear have a relationship. Faith drives out fear. Just like light drives out darkness. If he trusted the Lord, fear would not have caused him to do anything. Faith would have. What's motivating your actions? Faith or fear? I don't get the time to teach on this next part the way that I'd like to, but look at the 27th verse. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe. Man, doesn't that sound like a good thing? In fact, him of his robe, doesn't that kind of bring to remembrance something? What happened when that woman caught the hem of Jesus' robe? When she did it, it was an expression of her trust in him. When Saul does it, it's an expression of his desire to manipulate God. He's trying to manhandle, make Samuel do what he wants him to do. That's proven out right here. It says, And Samuel turned to leave, saw caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Mm. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied, listen to this reply, I have sinned, but please, what's that say? Please honor me. I have sinned, but please honor me. And for the elders and so on and so forth, so that I may go worship. Saul's form of worship was a worship that honored him above God. It was a form of worship that grabbed hold of the corner of God, which says, I've got his righteous commands. That's the kanaf. 
and the tzitzit. Y'all know what those are? Yes. Okay. This is the corner of a garment. Numbers 15.37 teaches it. Deuteronomy teaches it. The corners of their garment was to remind them of the commands of God. A corner in Hebrew is called a kanaf. The very tassel on the corner like this is called tzitzit. These knots, these 613 knots, symbolize God's authority invested in you through His commands. Because your authority flows from God's commands as you carry them out. He grabbed hold of Samuel's kanaf, zitzit, the corner of his garment, to manipulate him. Some only want to take the commands of God in a way that elevate them. Honor me so that I may worship. You ever heard testimonies that there was a little too much of I in Healing stories that the healing evangelist was the hero of, not Jesus. You ever heard those? In fact, people don't even have to go that full route. You can kind of feel it when it just goes that way a little bit, can't you? Somewhere inside you, the Spirit's saying, I don't like that very much. This guy's competing with me. It's an idol standing right here trying to shine brighter than me. And yet it's always easy to see that in other people. Would you like to talk about Jesse's sons? Yeah. I saw a couple of you looking at your watches. You need to go. You can go. I won't be mad at you. I think we're somewhere around 55 minutes. How much time do you want to learn about Jesse's sons? I tell you what, if you're good students, it won't take long. When I look in your eyes, if I see a connection, then we'll pose. If I don't see a connection, I'll try to break up the soil until you leave. <laughs> Does that sound like a plan? Yeah. Here comes 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Here's a word for you, church. Do not mourn for those God rejected. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be right there. Be ready the moment that they repent. You be right there hoping that they do. But do not spend your life mourning for people that do not do God's will. You know, Aaron was not even allowed to cry for his sons. As a pastor, that's a word for me. I can spend all of my time thinking about the handful that don't get this right and look over you who are getting it right. And doesn't it work that way in our own lives too? I mean in your own life. Do you mourn over all of those things that you didn't get right and you're missing the things that you are? Does that ever happen to you? Eric, is this the opposite of what you were preaching earlier? Well, the answer to, to Saul is one of Jesse's sons. It's how you bring balance to the whole equation if you how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Come on, church. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. But Lord, they didn't. But Lord, this didn't. Fill your horn up with God's divine enablement and go find some more. Would it surprise you that in a church with how many other people are here today? Maybe 60? That I could probably name 15 or 20 that have come through through the years that did, we invested in heavily that are not here? Why should it? 
Why, why should that amaze us? Did you understand the parable of the soils? Most are going to fail to work it. It's a special few who find life and they work the soil and produce a fruit, uh, a harvest for the king. Standing around mourning. When you got a chance to go bear fruit. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Wouldn't it be nice if God just said, I've chosen this son to be king? How often does he leave his instructions a little bit vague to see how you'll handle it and what you'll do and make it a teaching opportunity? There was no ambiguity in what he told Saul, and Saul was disobedient. There's tremendous ambiguity right here. One of his sons. How many does he have, Lord? I mean, is this the Duggars or is it the Stephen? <laughs> How many has he got? But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear it and kill me. What is that? Fear. Fear or realism. I'm not sure which, but they're components of each other right here. Let me ask you, does it stop him? Or does he no. go? The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. Relax, church. You don't have to figure it out. But if I do that, then this what? What are you doing? In your mind, you're working out all of the details and you are reasoning out God's voice. And all of our reason, we're reasoning out God. He thought he was probably going to die. God said, this is the way that I want you to handle it. Don't worry, I'll show you the rest when you get there. What we say is, Lord, submit your plan to us, and if it meets our approval, we'll take what we like, we'll refuse what we dislike, we will build a monument in our own honor afterwards and tell everybody we're wonderful champions for your kingdom. Yeah. It'd be funny if it wasn't so sadly true. By the way, what's a successful church? A church that is fulfilling its purpose or the church that is filling their seats? Those are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but I have a feeling it often is. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Who does the anointing? Who does the choosing? God does. What is Samuel then? He's an ambassador for God. What are you? You are an ambassador for God. Do you decide the message you deliver? No. <coughs> Do you decide who to deliver it to? No. So where's the pressure for you? Only to jump when he says jump, to run when he says run, to stop when he says stop. How are you doing with that? How does your seed in cultivated soil look? Give yourself an honest performance evaluation. You know, you can have the most amazing harvest if you just let it grow in the ground right. But you'll never know. You will never know if you never let the seed get in there. Or if you let it get in there but didn't let it grow to maturity. You'll never know. you never know how close you came to succeeding if you're always quitting. You can't know that. Samuel did what the Lord said. That's a great verse. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? <laughs> You know when people have to ask whether or not the prophet comes in peace? Uh -oh. 
when they don't already have peace in their heart because they are not walking according to God's ways even though they're saying it. It is a funny thing to stand on the stage while a man's prophesying accurately. It really is because you can see which faces are doe-eyed waiting for a word and which ones are going, yeah, i got something to do. <laughs> you can see it. Yeah. And some of you are going, oh my God, they always pick on me. Why do they pick on me? I don't know. It's easier to prophesy to some people. <laughs> it is. Look, I get prophesied to every time I'm in one of those meetings. I found out, though, that when I was the pastor of the church, they all exempt me for some reason. Like they're scared of it. I never do. I go speak in somebody's church. I got a word from the pastor. I wouldn't go there. You should never be scared to be with a man of God. And if you are, if you will not go get something you badly want, because it would mean you would have to run into a man of God to do it, this is all the commentary you need about your life. If you avoid contact with those that are sold out, it's all the commentary you need about your life. It's all you need to know. When Samson hid what he had done from his parents, that was all the commentary you needed. Didn't need to know whether he actually touched grapes, whether he actually broke his Nazarite vow. When he felt the need to hide it, you knew. When Adam and Eve hid from the presence of God, there's no more debating whether or not they did the right thing or the wrong thing. What did it produce in them? A fear of God's presence. Mm -hmm. This town is scared. Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the, Lord's to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, you know, when we think to ourselves, rather than hear from God, this is the beginning of really difficult problems in our lives. Yep. Angie's going to teach a book called Every Thought Captive. I trust Angie. I've heard many good things about the book. But I want to suggest to you that there's some thoughts, not only should you take captive, there's some you just can never let even enter your mind. Yeah. That's right. I call them non-negotiables. Yeah. I don't even accept them as my thought. I attribute them to some demonic source and don't allow them to rattle around in my mind. Samuel thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. Now, so that I don't keep you here all day. Does anybody know, just one chapter from this one, what Eliab says about David? I know how wicked your heart is, David. You come out here to see all of the battle in the slain. It's Samuel 17, somewhere around 28. Eliab, who Samuel is judging to be, surely this must be the Lord's anointing, looks at the one God eventually chooses and calls his heart wicked. What kind of judge of character is that? By the way, Acts 13, 22 says that David was a man after God's own heart. Acts 13.36 says that David fulfilled his purpose in his generation. You know why? He did what the Lord told him to do. So Samuel looks at Eliab and says, this must be the Lord. <laughs> this must be the king. Then he does the same thing to Abinadab. God says, look, I don't consider the things you consider. Just shut up and get all the boys until I tell you which one. That's the King Eric version. 
The Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Why is David not the obvious choice? Because he's concealed in commonness. He's the youngest. Is he good looking? Yeah, so that's not a problem. Is he a capable warrior? Yeah, that's not a problem. Uh, is he a talented musician? Yes. Yeah. Does he have leadership qualities? Why would he not even be considered for king? Because he's just ordinary. I'm curious. When Samuel left, there were two people that for sure did not know who would be king in Israel. You know who they were? Samuel and David. I'm just curious. What has the Lord anointed you to do that you have not even considered because you feel just like regular common folk and God is calling you a king? What seed's been planted in your heart? Are there weeds there obscuring the harvest God wants from you? Do you see yourself like He sees you? Listen to me, ladies. Do you see yourself like He sees you? Or have you accepted seed into your heart? Is it revealed through your insecurities? See, it's just as much disobedience to accept the end of the seed in your field and cultivate it and let it grow as it is to receive God's seed and not let it grow. It's the same thing. How many of you have negative self-images? I won't ask you to raise your hand. You won't. <laughs> you need your arms raised, you're worried whether there's any skin that'll move, you know. <laughs> Tucking in your chin or stretching it out. Make sure you're all just perfect. Where'd that come from? The devil. The devil. Thank you, man. It came from the devil. See, two kinds of people sow into a field. And at the harvest, we find out what kind of seed is in your heart. There is nothing that will not be revealed, no matter how hidden it is today. Isn't it beautiful if the judgment could begin with the house of God and we could start making right judgment that was not based on mere appearances? How many times does the words come out of your mouth, I can't, I'm scared, I could never? When God's word says you can do everything through Christ Jesus, how many times did you not know he called you to be king? You know what made David kingly? This is amazing. It is not kingly because he could sing. It is not kingly because he could go kill Philistines. It was not kingly because he turned out to be an amazing king. He's kingly because Samuel said about him and God later commented on his life, he will do everything I tell him to do. That's what's kingly. <laughs> Did David do some things God didn't tell him to do? Yeah. Couple, right? Couple biggies. But he also did everything God told him to do. So let me ask you, what do you think God looks at more? 
your failures when you didn't get it right? Or the times that you do what is right, or another way to say it, thank you, JJ, is obedience. Hmm. What he wants from you is not a certain kind of sacrifice. It is obedience. And I have learned that you can get everything wrong but get obedience right. And you will never have to worry about him honoring you. It's his word and the actions in you that he's honored. Jesse's sons are an amazing thing because they prove Zachariah's word. By the way, the end of this says, the Spirit of God came upon David in power. So did we need anything from David? No, Samuel had everything he needed in the little horn of oil. Zachariah's words in Zechariah 4, 6, it is not by might, nor by power, but by my The problem with Jesse's sons is you can't identify which one is king. And sometimes the sons themselves don't know. But the creation is waiting in eager expectation for you to reveal yourself. And I'm telling you that what is buried in your heart will either make you a king or soul. It is to the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is to the glory of kings to search it out. Whether or not you're a king is determined by how you react to the word that he's trying to put in your heart. Obedience or disobedience makes you his man or his enemy. I pray that you be his man. Stand to your feet. people are seed and soil, when they don't keep the best for themselves, when they don't build monuments in their own honor, and they don't pounce on plunder, the only thing that causes them to stand out is what God does through them. But every time you disobey, every time you do all of those things for respect, for honor, for whatever it is, you obscure God's truth inside I believe that there are kings out here. In fact, what he specifically told me, one of those prophecies that we wrote down, was that he would draw to this place the precious metals of the earth. He would make us like a magnet. And that it was our job to polish you for your service in his kingdom. The Lord sees you as precious and he told me so. I don't know necessarily about everybody outside those walls, but I know that because he drew you in here and what he told me my work was, he sees you as precious. Mm-hmm. Steph, you see yourself as precious. How's that for peer pressure? Do you see yourself as precious? Mm-hmm. But we're going to every day now, right? Yes. Yes. Kizzy, are you precious? Yes. Jim, are you precious? Jen, are you precious? <laughs> See, when we begin to believe what God's Word says about us and we cultivate it and we work that into the dough of our heart instead of the yeast of the Pharisees, all of a sudden you see greater works. Amen. Right. You want some greater works? Yes. Yeah. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, I ask that what you have just given them, you are the sower, you are the seed, Last week we learned that you are near us even in our mouths. Lord, I ask that you would teach us to cultivate your word inside of us. 
that you would grow inside of us, that we would decrease and you would increase, that we might see your works through our hands and see your hand in our works. Mighty God, we are yielding this church to you, saying steer the ship, start one life at a time, mighty God. Start one life at a time. Lord, we pray that you would free people from insecurities that have acted like chains. Lord God, that timidity would find no place in the kingdom. That emotional bondage would flee from your presence in this place. Holy One, we dedicate this, this body to you. Your pure, spotless bride, Lord God. And we say, refine her. Let us be adorned in the righteous acts of the saints. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Monday, we're still in Philippians. Wednesday, Natalie is preaching. Oh. How about these righteous ladies that are preaching that fun? Um, I don't know what else is happening that's in the bulletin, but I love you very much, and I hope that that word gets cultivated in your heart. That's good. Because when you get this, Matt and I don't have to do everything anymore. <laughs> that's a mistake. Foundations is not canceled. That's a mistake. Uh, foundations is not canceled. <laughs> not only did I print the bulletins on the wrong paper today and printed 100 of them instead of 45, when I reprinted the bulletins in a mad dash, I apparently didn't get some things right. Will y'all forgive me? Yes. Amen. I'm precious. <laughs>